pastors here, and we are in the, at the tail end of a series, three-part message uh, entitled The Way of Light and Truth. And uh, we are considering God's ways this year for exactly the reason we sang the song this morning, It's All About You. I only want you. Um, Moses prayed in Exodus 33, and much of this I'm going to say at the beginning is, is by way of um, mini review and context for our visitors. Welcome this morning. And um, when Moses prayed, teach me your ways, he added, so that I might know you. Learning God's ways is not about learning his rules. It's about learning what he's like, the way he does things, the way he is. Um, and we've, we've said it many times before, there are things about us that aren't just what we do, it is the way we are. Um, I'm an artist, and so it's hard for me to walk down the street and look at a tree and not think, how would I draw that? How would I paint it? Um, it's not something I try to do, it's not a rule. It's just part of how I'm made. Uh, there are people that... Are, aren't just musical, they don't just play instruments. There is a gift within them, there is a way they are wired that make them musical. I'm musical. I can play guitar, I like music, but there are people that are so far beyond me in what they think. I like music casually. I would say I'm an artist who likes music. But there are people that are just music. It is how they think. It is, they hear it everywhere. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about God. There are things about him that aren't just what he does. They define who he is, and that is unchanging. That is, uh, so many mothers in the room understand that it's not the, your job. It's who you are. And as many of us find out, no matter how old our kids are, we're still mom and dad. That never changes. It just goes to new levels, different toys, different sets of problems, different sets of uh, life situations. And so that's what we're considering when we talk about learning God's ways is finding out what he's like. Um, and so up till this point, we've considered that God is light God is truth, and today I'm going to marry them together a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about uh, what our message is today, stewards of light and truth. Um, if I could have the first verse uh, that we have for our reading this morning, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, um, if you're taking notes or if you're home and can't see the screen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Uh, if... If somebody here is saying, wait, we didn't pray, uh, yes, we did. Ben prayed. And our songs were a prayer. So I'm, I'm not one to just do things out of habit. So if you're saying, wait, 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 I say, no, hold on to your seatbelt because we're going. Um, a couple of things about this verse. 
uh, if, if we could have the verse back up, Paul writes this, um, God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I just want to point a couple of things out. When God interacts with us, he does it through a word that we call light. We may call it revelation. We may call it illumination, enlightenment. We may call it, I just, I saw it for the first time. Amazing Grace uh, has these verses, the, uh, the song Amazing Grace, sorry. The song Amazing Grace has this line in it. I once was blind, but now I see. This is Christian language for describing something that we don't know how to describe any other way. It's a supernatural type of experience that can only be, we can only try to grasp it how to describe it. We may say, I just got it. All of a sudden, I just knew. Uh, many of us have had the experience of saying, you know, I read that, I've read that verse a hundred times, but today I got it. Well, what do you mean today I got it? I saw it. What do you mean you saw it? I mean, I perceived it as reality. That's what Paul is writing here, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of it. It's one thing to have knowledge. There's professors all over this country, all over this world that teach Bible, that know Greek and Hebrew, but don't have any relationship at all, at all with God. It's just interesting. The Bible is interesting. You know what? The Bible is more than interesting. It is one of the most incredible books, one of the most challenging books you will ever read. And for somebody like me who has been involved with Christianity for many, many years, over 40 years, I still sometimes find myself stumped and challenged by verses that are very familiar, but then I, I have to take a step back and say, wait, do I believe this? And familiarity is a thief because we can become so familiar with reading something that we no longer hear what it's actually saying. And that's part of the incredible thing about the Bible itself it's the book that God backs. It's the book that God watches over. It contains his words that he will not deviate from. And there's a depth to them so that we can never say, I got this. I'm an expert now. But coming back to this idea of the light of the knowledge of something, it's one thing to have the knowledge of it. But what God wants to always impart is the light of the knowledge so that there is in us that moment where we say, aha, I heard it before, but now I see it. I see how it fits. I see how it's relevant. I see how what God has said applies to life. That's the light of the knowledge of something. Uh, when, I was, um, when I was in high school, I was very competitive. I was a super competitive athlete but I only weighed 135 pounds. So I was a 
super skinny competitive athlete. And competition would get the best of me sometimes. And we played, in, in my high school, we didn't have a football team because we were too small. So our fall sport was soccer. And we played a Christian school, and they were so phenomenal. I mean, they killed us on the soccer field. I think it was, you know, like 20 to 1 or 20 to 2. It was so humiliating. And so at one point in the game, I just decided if we aren't going to win with goals, I'm going to at least get some personal satisfaction. And so I began being rough. And I, I hit a couple of kids. I got a yellow card. I didn't get thrown out, but... I, I was playing very dirty, and by the end of the game, it was pretty evident that I was no longer a soccer player. Now I was rugby or something, um, or mosh pit. Uh, at the end of the game, I was kind of lingering, and one of the boys on the other team pulled me aside, and he started talking to me about Jesus. I didn't know anything. I'm not a church-going kid. And I'm not from a church-going family. And so in my mind, as I remember it, I think he was asking me the easiest questions he could think of. Like, do you know who died on the cross? And I, I don't know. And so he led me through this process of kind of the four spiritual laws. And he talked to me about sin and Jesus dying on the cross for me. And um, then he ended with, would you like to pray? And I just wanted to get in the locker room. I just wanted to get rid of him. So I prayed the prayer. And my first words going into the locker room, and believe me, I don't even know, I couldn't have told you really what these words meant. I walked in the locker room and everybody's, you know, being raucous. And I'm like, they said, where were you? And I said, oh, this guy's trying to get me saved. Now, I don't even know. We didn't even use that word saved. So I it just must be built into our sinful DNA that we just mock these things. And so nonetheless, this well-meaning fellow saw this very mean opposing player and decided to love me and preach the gospel to me. I can say nothing happened, at least that I was aware of. Several years later, completely unrelated, I became convicted to my core that I was not right with God. That I was, I understood what sin meant, at least in a certain context. And I wanted, I believed that Jesus died on the cross and I wanted to be made right. I, I wanted, I realized that so many of my problems were because I was not connected to God. Now, did this ministry of this fellow have anything to do with that? Uh, very likely. But when I prayed that prayer with him sitting on that curb in the parking lot, I didn't come away with anything other than a mocking experience ready to mock this fella. A couple of years later, in my dorm room at university, I became uniquely aware of being forgiven, of being loved, of being assured God had accepted my prayer. There was a 
what we call in Christianity this witness, this thing in here that sees, that perceives, that understands, that knows something happened. How can I explain that to you? I can't. If you say, do you know you're going to heaven? I say, yes. And you say, prove it. I say, I can't. It's something in here. It's a seeing. It's a perceiving. I once was blind, but now I see. Was lost, but now I'm found. The, the verses from Amazing Grace describe a spiritual experience that is common. It's spelled out in the Bible. This is not the Bible. My Bible's usually right here. My notes are not my Bible. Um, the words from the song Amazing Grace are descriptive of something that the Bible talks about. They're echoing things in the Bible. Um, Jesus said these words to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and I'm not going there. This is uh, a little bit of review. But Nicodemus came at night. He snuck over to Jesus because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus during the day. And he, and he said, how can these things be? How can, you know, you're a teacher. How can, the, how can you be doing the things you're doing? And Jesus said these words, and this is where we get this phrase, born again. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And here we have this idea of light, perception. He cannot perceive the kingdom of heaven. And then Another verse later, Jesus said, again, I say, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And this word enter we talked about last week is enter into participation, actively participate in. You cannot enter our house without taking off your shoes as per the rules of the lady of the house. That doesn't mean you can't come in the house. It means for you to actively participate in the offholder household, we advise you take off your shoes. So this idea of Jesus is saying, whatever this experience is, this born-again experience, this thing that happens on the inside where our spirit is made alive, we are given a different set of eyes. The Bible talks about uh, the eyes of our heart in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. So there's this whole idea throughout the scriptures that God is light. He gives us vision, not what our eyes see, but he gives a different vision, a vision of the inside person. The verse we read this morning said, God shines the light of the knowledge. And then he calls it this treasure. This light, this treasure we have in earthen vessels. So I just wanted to introduce this idea of the light of the knowledge of something um, because the, the subject of light and the subject of truth are vast. To boil it down to three messages is nearly impossible. So what I'm doing is I am rising above the whole subject and giving a 500-foot view but that in itself, I believe, will be helpful. Everything God does is light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And what he is saying by that is, I am the revelation. I am it. 
Let me say it again, because in church we get numb. Jesus is saying, I am the revelation. I am how God is. I am what he says. Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father doing. And this denotes that he is a person who is walking as a seeing person. Just because we have eyes does not mean we walk as seeing people. Jesus defines a different kind of sight from the inside person. And so many of us have begun to experience this as we came to Jesus and we prayed whatever prayer we prayed and we began to perceive things that we never perceived before. We began to see things. We began to walk as people who were seeing almost like I was walking in a world that I was unaware of until I was born again, until I came to Jesus. I have a question, and I, we aren't used to participatory church, but that doesn't matter, because here we are. Think about this in case I call on you. Sam? You're right in view. Josh, right in view. Jillian, you came. You're prime candidate. What have you been given? Think about it. What have you been given by God? What revelation do you have? Doesn't matter what anybody else has. What revelation, what light, what illumination, what miracle? Where has God answered a prayer? And you would have to say, you know what, there are lots of coincidences in my life, but this was not one of them. This was miraculous. There's no way this thing could have happened. Only God can do it. You know what's funny is, I may call on somebody now and you may be grasping for straws, but Thanksgiving is like complaint. The more you do it, the more it grows. The more you're thankful for one thing, the more you think, I got something else I'm thankful for. And before you know it, Thanksgiving begins to snowball. So does complaint. We all have them. But I imagine that if you are a person this morning who would say, I know what that being born again is. It's happened to me. I would imagine that if we had time to sit down and said, tell me one thing that happened, one thing that you know that you know that you would die for, it would lead to something else. You may find that to your own amazement, you know what, at first I only thought I had two or three and then all of a sudden I realized I got 50. Because the Bible says that when you came to Jesus, because he is the light, you became a child of light. It's normal. It's normal for us to talk about things that people think are crazy from the standpoint of, I got a revelation. I know this. How many times have you 
you drive the same way from work to home every single day, and on this one day, you just thought, I need to go a different way. So you did go a different way, and you find out there was a big accident. My sister's roommate had a dream one night. In the dream, there was a, they were in a mall, and there was a, an escalator coming down, and in the dream, there was a gunman shooting at people on the escalator. Well, she got spooked. She had not been a Christian very long at all. She wasn't used to dreams. She, I mean, this is, this is all brand new. Nobody told her what the rules were to this game. She didn't know that God could give you a dream. So she told my sister, they had a couple of friends coming over. They were all going to go shopping at a mall near Baltimore. Everybody got spooked by her dream. So they sat around all day and listened to records, chatted, you know. Somebody happened to turn on the news that night, and sure enough, at the mall they were going to be at, there was a shooting. And this is 1980, 81 maybe? And everybody looked at her like, what? And she got her introduction, this is how God does things. He makes things known. And so we've been talking about this because this is normal for you and I. It is normal as children of light. It is essential. It is critical. It is the one confirmation that you're in touch with God. What was the difference between when I prayed the prayer in the parking lot after the violent soccer game and when I prayed in my dorm room? One was followed by a confirmation, evidence, at least to me. Proof, God heard my prayer. When I prayed in the parking lot, there was no evidence, there was no light, there was no confirmation. I'm not saying it had no effect. I'm not saying he didn't break up hard ground. But what I am saying is I wasn't done yet. We are made for that confirmation. We are made for that evidence of God at work in my life personal. I know God does things for Judah, and I know God does things for Matt, and I know God does things for Matt. Two Matts. <laughs> but I also need to know he does things for me. I need to know that I am in relationship. Otherwise, what do I do? I do what the guy up front at the podium tells me, and that is not Christianity. And I don't want that responsibility. I don't want to run anybody's life. I got my hands full with my own. So true biblical Christianity involves a vital living relationship with God himself wherein he gives us light. But Jesus also said, I am the truth. And in that declaration, he's saying, nothing about me is a lie. There is no false impression. I'm not implying I'm one way, but really I'm another. I am absolutely the truth. And these are very confronting. For Jesus to say, I am the light, I'm not hiding. I am the revelation of who God is and what he's like. That is very confronting. And then for Jesus to come along and say, I am the truth and only the truth. There is no darkness, no lie in me at all. Is very confronting. Because sometimes we see things that don't always match up and we're like, how, how does it all work? I understand. 
And that's what we're coming to right now is God gives us light for our heart. And that's the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians, that we read. God has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into our hearts. And then he says, this treasure, this light is a treasure. We have an earthen vessel so that it can be seen. No, it's not you. You aren't God's new gift to something. We're all made of flesh. We're all frail jars of clay. So light is given for the eyes, the eyes of our heart, our spirit man. But truth is given for our mind because both are needed. Truth gives parameters. It gives boundaries. It gives borders to light. I told you last week about the fellow in our church years ago who the woman in the church came and said, the Lord told me you're going to be my husband. The Lord told me we're going to get married. Now, this woman thought she had light. She had received a revelation, illumination. You are going to be my man. But he said, the Lord didn't show me. We aren't getting married. And they never did. This is, a, this is where we understand that people say goofy things, and especially Christians say goofy things. Some things are strange, but from God. Some things are just strange. And if you've been around Christianity as long as I have, you've seen it all. And some of the goofiest are people that call themselves Christians. Because truth, light, will never contradict truth. Light and truth are two sides of the same coin. Light is never going to contradict truth. And specifically, Jesus in his revelation as I am the truth and God's word, his written word, the Bible, as truth. Light is for the eyes, truth is for the mind. Truth gives borders so you don't go too far. And so that when you hear something goofy in your heart and you match it up to the scriptures and it doesn't match up, you throw that light out. You throw out that goofy thought. We need both. Light is for the eyes and it's critical, necessary, normal. Truth is for the mind. It sets borders. It sets limits. And they never contradict each other. They are completely compatible because Jesus said, I am the light and I am the truth. There is no contradiction in him at all. We discussed the incident in Genesis chapter 3 uh, where Adam and Eve fell. They sinned in the garden. And we began to consider a little bit about how relevant it is all the time that it's not only a biblical account of, a, of an event, but it also shows what regularly happens in our life because we have God putting Adam and Eve in the garden and saying, you can eat from any tree except the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 3, by way of review, the serpent comes to Eve and says, has God said you shall eat from any tree, you, you can eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said, of any tree we can eat except the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't even touch it. Now, God never said that. He just said, don't eat of it. She added that. 
Because in the day we eat of it, Eve said to the serpent, that day we shall die. And the serpent said, what? Alan's paraphrase, laugh. <laughs> what? You surely shall not die. God knows that when you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. That's why he doesn't want you to eat. He doesn't want you to be like him. So all of a sudden, Eve got this new revelation. When, and the Bible says, when she saw, again, this saw, a new revelation. When she saw the tree was good for food, she and Adam, he was right there, apparently, took it and ate it, and immediately the eyes of both of them were opened, and they called something bad that God called good. They said, yikes, we're naked. And they made fig leaves to cover themselves. When they heard the sound of God coming to fellowship with them, they hid. And it's the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible. All of this is to say, Adam and Eve started with a little bit of light and truth. You can eat anything, but don't eat of this tree. Why? Because it won't do what you, say, what you think it will do without me. Up until this point in the book of Genesis, God had defined what is good and what is bad. And the minute they wanted to take that privilege, that ability for themselves, they got it all wrong. They called their nakedness bad. They tried to cover it up. Fear entered into mankind, and mankind plummeted. My whole point in all of this, and even though it sounds like a review, it's really not. It's that important for it to be rooted in our lives that we have received light and truth, but our regular daily life is a series of battles wherein an enemy wants to come to you and say, give it up. He questions God's motives. He questions what God is like. God's holding out on you. It's not really going to be that bad. Light and truth are always the thing that the devil is after. And when I say the devil, I'm including all of his minions. Every day, on a regular basis, what you call light and what you call truth is challenged for the purpose of getting you to depart from it. The confusion we see in our generation Nationally, socially, privately is indicative of people who don't have, who aren't anchored by light and truth. See, light and truth aren't just nice. We're made for it. Without light and truth, we shake. We are unstable. Our vision is skewed. We don't see things correctly. And why should the devil change his tactic? If it worked in the beginning, it'll work today. Did God really say this? It just means he doesn't want, he's dragging you out, he's gonna... Or we get our own little revelations of, oh, I get it. God didn't really mean this. And so we run with our own aha moment. The problem is, I, do you remember that we read a verse last week? It was in 
Yeah, where was it? Oh, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 28 says this. Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. You remember talking about that? Do not move the ancient boundaries where your dad and his neighbor put a pile of rocks and said, this is my yard, this is your yard. If you mow on my side, I appreciate it, but it's still not your yard. And if I mow on your side of the border, it's still your yard, I'm just being nice. Why don't we move the ancient boundary set by our fathers? Because you can't get it back. Only those two knew the markers. Only those two knew what they had decided. They set it up for it to be a permanent safe keeping for you. What happens when we move truth privately? You can find years later, why have I had all this trouble for all these years? It's hard to find your way back when you've moved the boundary. Nationally, socially, personally. When the boundaries are moved, it's hard to get them back. And what we see is people groping blindly, trying to figure out who we are, what are we doing, what's the meaning of this. And it's not just our country, it's the world. The world is shaking in every sector imaginable. And what we're seeing is what happens when you take away truth and light. People grope, people are afraid, people fight, people quarrel, it's my opinion. And they exalt opinion over truth because they can't find truth anymore. Truth, the boundaries have been moved. That's why this is so important. And that's why I would add what Judas said is so important this morning. Start with one thing. To finish, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25. And I want to read something, uh, a, a parable that Jesus gave. It's called the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents... Uh, first off, a parable is, the word parable is the word parabolos, and it means to lay next to or to lay alongside of. To take something you do understand, lay it next to something you don't understand so, to help you understand it. So a parable is, let me help you to understand this. And in this parable, just by way of a little bit of a preface, this master is going to entrust to his servants something called talents. And I know that we have dumbed that down to mean, what's your talent, Michael? Your talent is music, and your talent is caring for people, and we aren't sure what your talent is yet because there's so many of them. We would start to say music, but I can tell you his mind works like amazing. Nobody I know. So you may say his gift is music, but I think his gift is his mind, his talent. But that, that has nothing to do with a biblical talent. A biblical talent is one of two things. It's a way of measuring something precious, gold or silver. We're going to use gold this morning. 
it's anywhere between 70 to 100 pounds of gold. And by today's market, I wrote this down somewhere, by today's market, uh, a pound of gold is, or a, a talent of gold, let's say 72 pounds of gold, is $2,135,000. That's one talent. But sometimes they divided up they divided this value up into years of labor. So one talent equals 16 years of your wages. So not exactly sure which measurement this Jesus was referring to, but he was referring to either one talent being $2.1 million or 80 years of wages for the guy who got five talents. That's a lot of money. Think of what you make in a year times at times 80 and your boss is just giving you that much money to work with. So that's what a talent is. A talent is not a coin. The master did not give one servant five coins, another servant two coins, and one guy only one little coin. He gave them a lot to work with. So, I'll begin to read. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. That is $10.6 million. To another, two, $4.37 million. And to another, one, $2.1 million. I would take $2.1 million. Notice this, each according to his own ability. So the master gave to each one what that servant could handle. And then he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents, 20 million. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, 8 million. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received at least my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, and here's a principle, take note of it. This is a way. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now, there are a couple of lessons. Um, oh, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a few things to consider here, but I just want to settle on the main thrust. These servants were given great value. And they were entrusted with it. The word steward, I'm, I'm using the word steward this morning as stewards of light and truth, which is what we've been called to do and be. A steward is someone who uh, is in the conducting or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. We have been entrusted things that God expects us to highly value and work with. Faith, we've been given God's word. If we boiled all these things down, we would come down to, we have been entrusted with personal light and truth. You're a millionaire. From God's perspective, when he gives you light, he has given you something that you could never earn, you could never buy, you could never get it unless he gives it. When the knowledge, when the light of the knowledge of truth has been given to you, you have received something you could never earn. It's beyond what you could pay for. And it's different than just having knowledge. Lots of people have knowledge, but when you get the light of that knowledge, it is the servant entrusting you with great wealth, talents. And in this case, two of the servants took what they were given, used it, invested it, worked with it, protected it. And it grew. One servant, for whatever reason, he acted like he wasn't given anything. Maybe it was jealousy. I don't know. We don't really know. That guy got 10 million. I got 4 million. He got 4 million. I only got 2 million. For whatever reason, we don't know. God, or the master of the slave said he was wicked and lazy. But he took his 2 million, he took his one talent and buried it in the ground. And he said, I knew you were hard. So there was some kind of enmity there. What the master did when he said, you wicked, lazy slave, at least I could have gotten interest in the bank. Take what was his and give it to the one who already has 10. Now, Arya, my granddaughter, is in this new phase where everything is, that's not fair. She doesn't even know what it means. She just picked up the phrase, that's not fair. We say that's not fair. But no, in God's economy, to him who has shall more be added. The warfare we're in is constantly attacking what you've been given. The wealth, the treasure, the light, 
the truth you've been given personally. Not all of us have the same light and truth. We all have different shades of it. And I may say something that you may say, I never even heard of that. Tell me about that. And I may talk with you and you may tell me something and say, I've never even heard of that. Tell me about the light and the truth you've received about Jesus. When, when we are not walking in the light and truth we've been given, we shake. We grope. I cannot tell you how many people over the years that I've counseled that the, the salient question boils down to, I don't know what to do. That's a lack of light word. I don't have light. I'm not sure how to act. I'm not sure what to do in this. We are made for light. We are made for truth. When we are not anchored and protected by it, we shake. We shake in our marriages. We shake in our personal life. We shake in our finances. We shake in our parenting. So the attack, the Genesis 3 attack by the serpent is always the same. Has God really said, he's holding out on you, there's darkness in God, he doesn't really mean, you better, you know, God helps those who help themselves, so you better go out and help yourself. That's not a scripture verse, by the way. God helps those who help themselves. One of the things this parable reveals is we have a stewardship. There is a responsibility. God thinks he's given you treasure. How you act matters. Do I act like I have something valuable? Well, I don't have what he has. Well, work with what you have. And don't start with 20, start with one thing. Typically, when we're shaking, one piece of light and truth can stabilize us and get us to a place where we can begin to move. Begin to get us out of the mud puddle we're in or the quicksand we're in or whatever it is. We're living in a place, in a world, where there is so much lie and lying. And as a result of so much lie, so many lies and so much lying, people are shaking under the weight of it. And they don't know who to turn and they don't know who to trust. So they do all that they know to do. Can we have the, the passage from one, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4? Paul writes to Timothy and says, for the time will come, this is a future day, and I believe it's a passage that's very relevant to the day we're living in. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they, and this is talking about believers. This isn't talking about the ungodly. The ungodly are always like this. This is Paul saying, yes, there's actually coming a day where people like you, believers, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the what? Does that sound like Genesis 3? Turn away your ear from, you surely will not die. It's the same. Genesis 3 is a model. It's a principle. This place, the warfare in this world is always after your light and your truth. Always to get you to turn aside to myths. Self-helps or just things that tickle your own fancy. So, emblematic of in days are 
People like you and I that will not tolerate truth, they no longer value it. It's no longer valued as a treasure. But indeed, Jesus in the parable of the talents says these people were given a great treasure. Some of them worked with it, some of them didn't. To him who has shall more be added, and that is needed. It is needed in your life for the light you received initially to grow. For time's sake, I will just make mention of the verse in 2 Peter chapter 1 where he says, you would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. You would do well to pay attention to a little light until it grows into a big light. Psalm uh, 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That verse is also saying the same thing. Your word starts off like a candle and it will end up becoming the light of day. Everything God gives you will grow if you'll stay with it. The light you were given will grow as you honor it, value it, work with it, invest it in your life situations. You don't leave church when you leave church. You don't leave the teaching behind until next Sunday. You take light and truth with you every day when you go to work. You apply truth, you apply the light you've received to your specific situation, to your terrible boss, to your finances, to your bills, to your kids. What you've been given is supposed to be being applied and worked with, and as you will work with it, it will increase, it will grow. That candle will become a bigger light and a bigger light and a bigger light. It is the way God has designed things to work. The treasure you've been given, though it may seem small, if you'll work with it, will grow and increase. It is God's way. So I bring you back to what we talked about at the beginning. If I went around and I ask you, Hannah, what have you gotten? What have you personally gotten? What could you stand up here and say, this is what I know? This is personal light, but it's beyond that. It's backed by truth. It's backed by written truth. And also, since truth is a vehicle of light, the unfolding of thy words gives light. That's why we can say, you know, I read that Bible verse a hundred times, but today when I read it, boom, it hit me. God's word, God's truth also ushers in light. Light and truth are compatible. They're related. They affect each other. Light affects truth. Light shines on truth. Truth unfolds light. And ultimately, Jesus said, and I'm the ultimate revelation of them both. My exhortation is to begin to work with and use and value what you've been given, not to treat it lightly because that's the whole point in this groping world, in this world where people are struggling, people are angry, people are really confused, people are upset, easily offended. And it's all indicative of people who no longer have an anchor and they're just drifting into whatever camp they've joined and that's what the church is doing. The church in so many cases is drifting with whatever camp seems right to them. Hear that? Good and evil? I'll decide for myself what's good. I'll decide for myself what's evil. This Genesis 3 passage is going to follow us the rest of our days. 
But what's needed is people who, what's going to fix our government? What's going to fix our society and its issues? The thing that fixes you, and that's personal light and truth. Once you're stabilized, once you're no longer groping. You know, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. He was able to navigate a messed up situation. He walked well in a military occupation. And so us, what God is interested in is Jim, Rusty, Laura, I've given you light. Work with it so that your personal light increases so that you become a child of light wherever you go. That will stabilize and anchor where you're at and it will help others. Because what others are looking for is people who have light. Because people don't know anybody that has light. So what happens if we give away our light? What if we don't invest it? What if we don't work with it? What if we become like everybody else? You know, I worked at the jail with Rich and Josh for a little bit. And I cannot tell you how tempted I was to use the F word more than ever. I've never cussed for years and years. But when I worked at the jail... It was so nasty. Everything in me wanted to, I like had the F word popping in my mind. I'm like, what is going on? Because there was such a pressure to conform and be like everybody else. And I didn't. I wasn't interested in being like everybody else. I have light. I know what happens when I speak. I know what our words can do to us. So I'm careful. Then I started working at Martin's and back in the deli and I found out those women in the deli can outcurse the guards at the jail. And so I'm like, okay, this isn't just the jail. This is, this is everywhere. There's some hard women back there. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad I was rooted. My point being, we're children of light. He didn't light a candle in you to set it under a basket. But the devil has got to snuff it out. He's got to get you to put it away. He's got to get you to put it under a basket because he's not allowed. So he's got to convince you. The thing that will help us, the thing will at least, because at least let's start by stabilizing your house. Let's start there. You have light. God is a light giver. Truth gives vision so that you're no longer a person groping. Maybe you can help somebody else. As your light increases, as our light increases, as we collectively begin to walk as children of light and truth, it begins to have an outward ripple effect. Socially, maybe not in D.C. yet, maybe just in my company. And then it spreads from that company to the town, from the town to the county, from the county to the state. Now, am I saying we're going to fix this country? I don't know. It doesn't sound like it from the Bible. But at least, at least we don't have to be like the blind leading the blind. At least we don't have to be the ones groping around. At least we can be seeing ones that can help others out of the ditch wherever we can. Sight that comes by light and truth has to start in the individual first. That's your evidence. That's your confirmation. You're connected to the living God. Can we just commit ourselves to him? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for what you've given us. You have put a treasure in us. 
and we want to value it. Help us to pick back up all over this room. Help us to pick back up truth that we might have put down. Help us to put away, put, pick back up revelation that our situations or our circumstances may have tricked us or convinced us to put down. We value what you have given us. You have put a treasure in these earthen vessels. For that, we give you thanks. Help us now to work with it, invest it, so that we might walk in light in a dark world. For the help of your presence, we thank you. For the light that comes by your written word, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.